0: It's wonderful to be with you today. My name is Aidan, and by now, uh, if you're watching the Rugby World Cup, it's almost finished, or probably might have just finished. So congratulations or commiserations to you, depending on if you're supporting the All Blacks or South Africa, and whatever the score was, I don't currently know. I have to admit, uh, I felt pretty old this week when I realized that it's been 20 years since the Black Eyed Peas released their breakthrough track, Where Is The Love?, The record had international success, topping charts around the world, becoming the highest selling song of the year in the UK and being nominated for two Grammys. The song's success suggests that the lyrics resonated with people. If you have no idea about the song, uh, here are some of the lyrics that made it so famous. Whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity, lack of understanding, leading us away from unity. And then the chorus, which was actually sung by Justin Timberlake, but wouldn't seem out of place among the Psalms of lament in our Bible. People killing, people dying, children hurting, hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us send some guidance from above, because people got me, got me questioning, where is the love? As an 11-year-old listening to this song, I thought there might be something wrong with the world. As a 31-year-old, I know there is. And those 20 years in between have also taught me that there's not just a problem out there with the world, but there's a problem with me. There's a problem with humanity. We don't practice what we preach. We don't turn the other cheek and we desperately still need guidance from above. The images recently coming out of the Israel-Palestine conflict are absolutely crushing. Regardless of religion, Or ethnicity, how humans can deliberately inflict this kind of suffering on each other is hard to fathom. On innocent children, aid workers, people who are just there to help, and people without any hope of evacuating through the suggested route. I think many people right now are asking the same questions. What is wrong with the world? Where is the love? In a world like ours, which seems increasingly divided and where battle lines are drawn, nations and individuals choose sides and positions become further entrenched with each passing generation. Who are we as Christians called to love in such a world? Bob Goff has written a best selling Christian book, which I have to admit I haven't read, but I love the title. I'll read it one day. It's called Everybody always that's who jesus called christians to love everybody always as a kid i remember trying to count how many people i loved so i could tick them off on my goal to loving everyone my mom my dad my sister my extended family hopefully one day a girlfriend or a wife if i loved all of those people i'd be making progress but those ones you know in my case at least Are the easy ones to love? As Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. What about the people who are hard to love? Now, before we dive into today's passage, just a quick reminder of where we are in Romans. Since the start of chapter 12, Paul has been laying out a bunch of application points for the Roman believers all grounded in his thorough theological work so far in the book. Two weeks ago, Grant looked at the preceding section around sincere love. And the passage we're in today follows that same train of thought for Paul. We're going to begin at verse 14 in chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As Grant mentioned two weeks back, many interpreters have identified Paul's method of writing here as perinesis, a style of writing composed by a string of ethical teachings with no clear structure. And this makes it kind of harder to preach a logical structured sermon, but I'm doing my best. And although there are many application points we could focus on, we're gonna narrow in on this theme of loving our enemies. And for those of you who are not big Perinesis fans and who like structure, you'll be pleased to know that we have three points. The first one is that we have a revenge instinct. This is just part of human nature. You can see this wherever you look, from the Bible to Hollywood, From Shakespeare's Hamlet to Taylor Swift singing Karma is My Boyfriend. Maybe some of you have, like me, watched a David Beckham documentary recently. And you see this theme play out when Beckham is sent off in the 1998 World Cup, terrible memories for me as an Englishman, against Argentina, thanks to a silly kick out and some clever play acting from Diego Simeone. For the rest of the documentary, Simeone is portrayed as the villain, as he laughs about how he got David Beckham sent off, which resulted in Beckham being tormented by the English public for years. Eventually, later on, uh, a season or two later, the two players end up actually versing each other for their club sides in a Champions League game. David Beckham's Man United teammates talk about an unspoken agreement that if they get the chance, they're not going to hold back in tackles on Simeone someone was going to get him. And as the viewer, I bet, for those of you who have watched it, even if you're not English, you were wishing that someone would smash him. Even if you weren't English, you wanted someone to go in and make that tackle on him. See, we have a deep human desire for the baddie to get what's coming to them. The enemy must pay. And Jesus knew when he came, that this was a basic operational principle of human society. And he addressed it particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, which Paul seems to be referencing here indirectly. In Matthew 5.43, Jesus says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Now, we might think that uh, what Jesus is doing is updating an Old Testament teaching here. Like back then you could hate your enemy and that was fine, but now I'm raising the bar. But the thing is that only the first part of the quote is actually found in the Old Testament. The Pharisees have added the bit, hate your enemy. You won't find that as a moral instruction anywhere in the Bible, New Testament or Old Testament. Jesus corrects the false teaching. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's Matthew 5, verse 44. We have an instinct for revenge. We've looked at it culturally and biblically, but I invite you to look inwardly. Who is your enemy? And maybe you don't use that word, but is there someone or a group of someone's who secretly you're wishing the worst for? Who do you think is undeserving of your love or prayers? Here's the application challenge. Name that person or group of people right now in your head. And you're not a bad person for thinking of someone, by the way. It's not a trick. I'm not going to go, oh, yeah, you had an enemy. You're a bad person. You come up with someone. Have you got someone? Great. Now pray for that person every day this week. See what God does in that relationship and particularly in our own hearts towards the enemy. Point number two. Revenge is such a popular script that we have a group of superheroes named after the concept, whose very job it is to put things right. The global phenomenon that is the Avengers. And here's the thing, and this might be a bit of a disappointment if you're a Marvel fan, but as cool as they are, you are not in the Avengers. In this passage, Paul shows that instead of a team of avengers, there is but one avenger. And it's not us. Let's go back to verse 19 and see this again. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And ultimately, this avoids two extreme positions. The first being that we all seek retribution on our own terms. A world full of mini-Avengers striving for some form of vigilante justice, but invariably perpetuating a cycle of violence and escalating conflict. And if we live in such a world, it's bound to favour those who have power and money and influence and oppress those who don't have those privileges. If we all get to decide what is right and wrong and punish accordingly. The other extreme is that instead of too many Avengers, we have no Avenger at all, no one to bring justice for the oppressed and downtrodden, no one to punish evil, no one powerful enough, caring enough, and with enough integrity to selflessly wield power and make things right. Although both these views of vengeance may sound more or less how the world does work now, in the end there will be one who judges justly. I wouldn't want that pressure, and I doubt any of you would, but thankfully there is an infinitely wise and righteous loving God who says it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, it's crucial to note that there is a difference between justice and vengeance. I'm not saying we need to be passive. Justice still needs to be worked for. Peace still needs to be made, but we don't take vindictive revenge. Vengeance is God's job and not mine. So what's my job? Paul's told us all the things not to do, right? Do not curse. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't take revenge. But what should we do? In this section, there are some positive commands as well, which tell us how to actually act. So verse 14, It says, bless those who persecute you. And in Jesus's original in the Sermon on the Mount, to pray for those who persecute you. And then verse 20, it moves beyond prayer and thoughts to practical enemy love, to tangibly provide for our enemy when they are in need. What would it look like for us to apply this practical love to the person or group of people we thought of earlier in the message? If you're anything like me, when someone tells you to do something, you always want to know the why, especially when it's something as radical as loving your enemy. So here's the why, and it's our final of our three points. And for this point, we need to go a little bit further back in Paul's letter. Firstly, we rewind to verse one of chapter 12. And remember that this whole section is grounded in view of God's mercy. Basically, because God has been so extravagantly merciful to everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, because of that, this is how you should live. But rewinding further, we find that Paul uses the same word enemy at a key moment in chapter 5 verse 10, where it says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Why are we to love our enemies? Because God loves his enemies, namely you and me. And God's enemy love brings reconciliation, the restoring of a relationship that we chose to break. And this reconciliation is not achieved lightly, but by the blood of Jesus who paid the price for our sin on the cross. A self-sacrificing love on behalf of one's enemies who don't deserve it. That is the love of God. This is the picture we see when Jesus, beaten and mocked, pinned to a cross by rusty nails, prays for the very people that nailed him there. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. In the agonizing suspense on the cross, Among the other carefully selected words, Jesus uttered as he struggled for oxygen were these words, It is finished. And then after his resurrection, Jesus encourages his disciples, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Which reminds me of how Paul closes his section. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But as I look around the world and I look at the news at times, it feels anything but finished and evil seems anything but overcome. When I look at the injustices of the world and I often look at my own apathy and selfishness, I wonder like the black eyed peas, where is the love? How do we overcome evil with good? I wonder if overcoming looks different to the triumphant victory we might have in mind. As we looked at in chapter 8 of Romans, perhaps we are more than conquerors even when we feel like sheep being led to the slaughter. Until Jesus returns and the avenger makes all things right, overcoming evil with good means rejecting the world's script of enemy hatred and getting vengeance on our own terms. If we follow the example of our father, who first loved us, then overcoming evil means self-sacrificial enemy love and forgiveness. And this type of love is perhaps the greatest way that we can not conform to the pattern of this world. That's the pattern of this world. Get your own back. Find your own justice. And Paul's told us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So to conclude, let's wrap up our three points on enemy love. We have an instinct for revenge. We all do, but we're not to indulge it because vengeance is God's job and not ours. Instead, we we are to continue to love and practically care for our enemies. Why? Because Jesus paid our price when we were God's enemies. He has shown us enemy love so we can show it to others. And a reminder of your challenge, identify your enemy. And as sincerely as you can, pray for them every day this week. Pray for yourself to grow in empathy and compassion for them, regardless, regardless of how they respond to you, because that's the thing. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be reconciled straight away. Maybe it will, but maybe not. Maybe they continue to feel like your enemy. But can you continue to love them? And as we conclude, let us not forget the global relevance of this message and our role as Christians to mourn with those who mourn. Palestinian Christian and theologian Johanna Catanaccio has written this poem calling Christians, before choosing sides, to simply weep with those who weep right now. In both Israel and Palestine, it's called Cry With Us, and we'll finish with an excerpt from the poem. Love your enemies and cry with them is the advice of divinity. Bless those who curse is the path to genuine spirituality. Pour tears of mercy. Compassion is true piety. Pray with tears for the sake of spreading equity. Followers of Jesus, crying is now our responsibility. But don't cry for your friends only, but also for your enemy. Father God, we thank you that while we were your enemies, separated from you by our own choices to sin, that you sent your son Jesus to pay our price, to restore us to relationship with you. Thank you that you loved us when we were your enemies. And God, we thank you that one day you will judge justly, that you will avenge wrong and put things right. And Lord, we pray that in the, in the time between that, would you help us to love our enemies as you have loved us? Help us to grow in empathy and understanding of those who are different to us. I pray for each person watching this, Lord, as they have identified somebody or a group of people who, who they find it hard to love. Would you be with them this week? Would you remind them to pray for those people And show them what it means to love them practically. Continue to reform us and make us more like your perfect love. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.